Thomas Edison, Richard Branson, John F. Kennedy, Mozart, Michael Jordan, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of vocations. Why is it that we rarely hear that they have or had ADHD? And you know what we hear even less about? Serena Williams, Emma Watson, Mel Robbins, Whoopi Goldberg, Agatha Christie, Aaron Brockovich, Cher. Yeah, the successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Atsuka. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, now a coach. I'm also the creator of Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, a system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your strengths, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest gifts. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you, too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I am Tracy Otsuka, and I wanted to welcome you to episode 78 of ADHD for Smartass Women. And I want to start by acknowledging one of our listeners, Palo Polish Mama, who posted this review on Apple Podcasts. So the title is, Wow, Super Helpful and Fun. I recently discovered this podcast. In just a few episodes, I have learned and done so many new, helpful, practical things. I signed up for Focusmate and tried it for the first time and liked it so much, I did two more sessions the same day. I learned new ADD-friendly features of my Apple Watch, and I just feel validated. Tracy is fun and upbeat. Thank you. And I can totally relate to everything she's saying. The optimism, the curiosity, the need for speed. I signed up to learn how to manage my life better, and I'm loving all the tips so far. I take meds, but need skills and practical pointers and feel I can get them here. Can't wait to keep listening. Signed, a grateful listener. Well, Palo Polish Mama, I hope you are listening right now because I am so grateful for you and your wonderful comments. You know, the gold stars are so appreciated, but the fact that what I'm doing right here on this podcast, in my group, with my AOK program, all of it, the fact that it's making a difference in women's lives, which ultimately spills over to making a difference in marriages, kids' lives, extended families, businesses, everywhere, really, right? It's just really satisfying work, and I can't thank you enough for allowing me to do it. Okay, so almost two years ago, I created episode one of this podcast. It was the episode that came after my introductory episode, which was episode zero, and it was called, What Does ADHD Actually Look Like in Women? This episode is now the second most downloaded episode of ADHD for smart-ass women. Number one, by the way, because I know you're thinking, what is number one? It's the one that is all about rejection-sensitive dysphoria. I think it's episode 19. And yeah, our number one episode ever is all about emotion, and the DSM still makes no mention of emotion. That doesn't sit right with me, and I bet you it doesn't sit right with you either. Anyway, I have had plans to redo this episode for a number of reasons. Partly because I've learned so much more since I initially recorded it, and partly because my understanding of ADHD has become even more strength-focused. I have a new rule since I recorded that first podcast, and that is that I only follow experts who are not only strength-focused, but also have ADHD themselves. And what's interesting but not surprising is that ADHD experts who have ADHD are all strength-focused. Go figure. You know, I've said this before, if I want to learn how to surf, I am not going to go seek out an instructor, someone who will teach me, that has never surfed before. So why would I put my health into someone else's hands that hasn't even experienced what I've experienced? He or she, they haven't surfed. 
So the experts that I go to are people like Sari Solden and Kathleen Nadeau and Ellen Littman and Patricia Quinn and Thomas Hallowell, of course, and John Rady and Dale Archer, and the list goes on and on. There are so many of them today. So initially, I was going to redo this episode at its one-year anniversary, which was last October, so October 2019. And then it was supposed to be done at the end of last year, right? 2019, and then the beginning of this year, and so on and so on. And you know how that goes, right? There's always so much to do, and there is never enough time. Now, what I will say is if you're a man and you're listening, and I've had so many men contact me and tell me that they do listen, much of what I'm going to say will actually apply to you too. I do talk about hyperactive combined and inattentive ADHD in this particular episode. The hormones part, well, probably not so much there, but there will be a lot that you will resonate with. And I've joked before about starting an ADHD for smart ass women podcast (laughs) or group. Anyway, just so I'm clear though, my goal here is to create a resource, a starting point for ADHD women, a place that they can begin to discover what ADHD looks like for them, you know, for us. Just know that there is no cookie cutter one size fits all formula when we're talking about ADHD symptoms. Also remember that I'm a lawyer, not a doctor. Wait, you know that, right? <laughs> So I have to put in that disclaimer to please consult with your own medical professionals. I am not a medical ADHD expert. My knowledge comes from reading everything I can get my hands on written by those medical experts, talking to as many women with ADHD as I possibly can. Many of you are aware of the fact that I do have a 10,000 plus member Facebook group of the same name, ADHD for Smart Ass Women. There is a lot of information that is exchanged in that group. And I also am an ADHD trained coach, but again, I am not a medical expert. So I think what would be helpful is to start with the question, what is ADHD? And so first, I'm going to turn to the DSM-5, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. You know how I feel about that whole name. I hate it. This is what mental health professionals use to diagnose mental illness. But then I'm also going to talk about other symptoms that you don't normally hear about and how they show up for us in the real world. You know, there are so many things that when I started on this journey, I just had no idea they were part of ADHD. But my entire life, I've kind of wondered, hmm, why do I do that? You know, it's like we all have our own puzzle and we start learning about ADHD, about our ADHD. And it's like, oh, my God, that's ADHD and that's ADHD. And that's part of my ADHD, too. We're literally each putting together our individual ADHD puzzle. So I want to go into those unusual symptoms because often those are the symptoms that really convince people that, uh, yeah, I better go do some more research on this ADHD thing because it sounds just like me. So what is ADHD? ADHD is a neurobiological condition, and it stands for Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. I personally think it's misnamed. It's not that we have a deficit of attention. We actually have a surplus of attention. We notice so much. We are interested in so much. I also do not believe it's a disorder. I will agree to the term condition begrudgingly, if I have to, but I actually believe ADHD, it's just a brain difference. And with the right workarounds, with education, with community, possibly with some medication, if you're one of the lucky ones and it works for you, and with learning about our brains, we are brilliant. But there needs to be a comprehensive strategy. None of this prescribing medication and doing nothing else. That rarely works. And this is the deal, and I know you've heard me say it before, but I have never met anyone of the thousands of ADHD women that I've come into contact with that wasn't truly brilliant at something. Now, ADHD, it's a brain-based condition that looks a little different for everyone, and that's what makes it so hard to diagnose but even to question, to even consider if you might have it. People don't understand what it is. 
Neuroscience, however, points to some very real differences in the ADHD brain or the neurodivergent brain versus the neurotypical brain or what I like to call the neuroboring brain. There are differences in the way the ADHD brain regulates attention, stimuli, behavior. These differences impact self-regulation, how we experience motivation, how we start when we don't want to start something like homework or paying bills or stop behaviors that we don't want to stop. And it's this yin and yang, this kind of dance that is so different in the ADHD brain. We may have real problems with working memory. For example, you know, we forget an appointment or why we walked into a room, but then we may have no problems at all with memory in other tasks. There's a meme that most of us at this point with ADHD have seen. So there's a picture of a light switch and there are two options. You flick it up and it says uninterested. And then when you flick it down, it says utterly obsessed. And that is such a perfect description or analogy of ADHD. We have two speeds, right? It's uninterested or utterly obsessed. And there's not a whole lot in between. ADHD also involves our prefrontal cortex, which affects our executive function skills. And those are skills like planning and scheduling and time management. Many of us, like me, we have no sense of time. Literally 15 minutes and four hours can often feel exactly the same. In ADHD, the brain is inefficient when we're trying to plan and strategize and organize and initiate and set goals. I really love the ADD Coach Academy's definition, they're called ADCA. It's a wonderful coaching program, by the way, if you're interested in coaching or just learning more about how the ADHD brain works. ADCA defines ADHD as a unique brain wiring which requires engaged interest with a clear, purposeful intention in order to activate and access attention so an individual can manage the brain's executive functioning. The most important thing that you need to know is that ADHD, it's not a behavioral disorder. You cannot blame bad parenting, bad teachers, laziness, TV, video games, smartphones, the times we live in, a lack of discipline, or a bad diet. This is an executive functioning challenge, and it is based in biology. Okay, so now I want to give you some stats about ADHD. About 9% of kids in the United States have been diagnosed with ADHD. 5% of kids in the rest of the world have ADHD. Now, lots of people will look at that and they'll say, oh, that means it's completely overdiagnosed in the United States. I don't believe that's true. I mean, it makes perfect sense to me. The United States would have more cases of diagnosed ADHD than other parts of the world. And the reason is because we are a nation of immigrants. Who else would leave their homeland and all their family, get on a boat and risk everything for who knows what, but someone with ADHD? Look, we're high stimulation people. And I'm certain that all of our explorers had ADHD. You know, in my first podcast, I think it's my first one, I talk about Tom Hartman's hunter versus farmer theory. I agree with him. I think most of us with ADHD, we're just leftover hunters living in a farmer's world. ADHD is sometimes misdiagnosed, but it is still seriously underdiagnosed. I think there's a lot of misinformation out there, and I liken it to global warming, right? You either believe in science or you don't. The existence and impact of ADHD has been validated for decades by the National Institute of Health, the U.S. Surgeons General, the American Medical Association, the American Psychiatry Association. We have brain imaging studies that show what a neurotypical brain looks like versus what an ADHD brain looks like. We have genetic studies. We have twin studies. There is no question that ADHD exists. 4.5% of adults have ADHD, although that figure is thought to be underreported because 80% of kids with ADHD, they don't outgrow it. 90% of women have not even been diagnosed. Honestly, I think that figure's higher too. As I mentioned already, what makes ADHD so hard to diagnose is that brain wiring is unique in every individual, but especially in those of us with ADHD. We all have our own unique combination of traits. It looks different in everyone. ADHD brains we're wired for interest, not information. It's not that we won't pay attention to what we're not interested in. It's that we really can't, no matter how important it is that we do so. 
Remember that light switch. You can click the switch up or down. That's the ADHD brain. We've got two speeds. We're either utterly obsessed or we're uninterested. We are genetically programmed to be endlessly inquisitive. And so we all have a few areas in life where we demonstrate none of the executive functioning impairments that we show in all other areas when we're not interested. Let me give you an example. I could not be bothered to plan and cook dinner every night, but give me a dinner party and I will prepare for it for days. Make me fill out financial statements, do taxes or balance a checkbook. Do people do that anymore? No, I don't. Look, I'm smart. I could do it if I wanted to, but I don't, so I can't. Now, I'm lucky. I'm married to a banker. But if I wasn't, I know that those are the things that I'd have to contract out. I would just need help. Okay, what else can I tell you about ADHD? ADHD is as heritable as height. Well, it's almost as heritable as height, and it's more heritable than anxiety disorders. So if a parent has ADHD, there's at least a 50% chance that the child will also have it. However, it may look completely different from person to person, even in the same family. I've said that a couple times already, haven't I? It can also skip a generation, which means your ADHD could be inherited from a grandparent or a great aunt instead of your parents. And the thing is that ADHD, it's not like being pregnant where you either are or you're not. It's more like height or intelligence where there's a varying degrees and different people are going to fall on the spectrum. That means that some of us can have symptoms that are so slight that we're not really impaired by it. And if you're intelligent, you can hide it. And you don't even know you're doing that. You just work harder, right? This is exactly why ADHD is so hard to diagnose. And I'll talk more about smart girls and ADHD in a bit. So we have genetics, but then we also have environment that plays an additional role. And we're learning a lot about that. What your ADHD symptoms look like can also depend on how you grew up. Did you struggle in school? Did you experience trauma as a child or even as a young adult? I'm going to do a podcast on trauma. It's been on my list for forever. I am just looking for an expert that also has ADHD. So a trauma expert with ADHD. What I have noticed firsthand is that women that struggle the most who have ADHD also have unresolved trauma. And you cannot work on the ADHD until you've worked on the trauma. So I really want to do a podcast on this, but I need an expert. So if that's you, hit me up. Okay. There are three subtypes of ADHD. There's hyperactive impulsive. Now, I have to tell you that I don't know anyone who is this subtype, and I've asked a lot of ADHD experts from doctors to coaches to therapists, and they've all told me it is very, very rare to just be hyperactive impulsive, especially for women. The second subtype of ADHD is inattentive, which I'll talk about after I talk about the third subtype. And that is number three, the combined subtype, which is probably the most common of all subtypes. And I am an example of a combined type. Now, according to the DSM, ADHD affects these three main areas. Number one, impulsivity. Number two, hyperactivity. And that can be a hyperactivity of the body, but it can also be a hyperactivity of the mind, right? Like, you know, your mind just won't shut off. And then the third area that is affected is distractibility. So you have trouble paying attention. So there's inattention, right? There are 18 symptoms to diagnose ADHD. Nine are focused on inattention and nine are focused on hyperactivity impulsivity. That list, however, was developed for use with children. So Russell Barkley, who is one of the pioneers in getting the word out about ADHD, he doesn't have ADHD himself, but his brother does. So he thinks maybe he's somewhere on the spectrum. Russell Barkley developed nine criteria specifically for adult ADHD, which I think is really useful in your decision to go further and have yourself evaluated. So this is Russell's criteria. Do you often, number one, easily get distracted by extraneous stimuli or irrelevant thought? Number two, do you often make decisions impulsively? Three, do you often have difficulty stopping activities or behavior when they're engaging and of interest to you? Four, do you often start a project or task without reading or listening to directions carefully? Five, 
Do you often fail to follow through on promises or commitments you make to others? Number six, do you often have trouble doing things in their proper order or sequence? Number seven, do you often drive much faster than others? Or if you don't drive much faster, do you have difficulty engaging in leisure activities or doing fun things quietly? Number eight, do you often have difficulty sustaining attention in tasks or recreational activities? Number nine, do you often have difficulty organizing tasks and activities? So Barclay says that if you checked off four of the first seven symptoms or six of the nine, you are likely to have ADHD, so consult a medical professional. Well, everyone has times, right, where they get distracted or they act impulsively or they lose things or they can't remember why they walked into the kitchen. That's all true right? But what you're looking for is, first of all, the number of traits that you have, then the duration that you've had them. Have you had them for at least six months? Followed by the intensity that you have these symptoms. How often are you distracted? How often do you find yourself working only to discover that it's now 2 a.m. and it feels like 9 p.m.? And then finally, have your symptoms impaired you? in education, in work, in social relationships, in dating or marriage, in managing your money, in driving. On top of this, you have to have had these symptoms of ADHD as a child. The DSM says that these symptoms were present prior to the age of 12. Russell Barkley says it's up to age 16 in women. So what I have noticed is that hormones for women play a big role. And so a lot of us don't really recognize ADHD symptoms until we started going through puberty. So just because you were diagnosed as a child, number one, doesn't mean you don't have ADHD. If you have less of a problem today with these symptoms than you had as a child, that also doesn't mean that you don't have ADHD. Just because you were hyperactive as a child, but you're no longer hyperactive today, doesn't mean you don't have ADHD. What we find with adults is the hyperactivity of the body subsides and we start getting more hyperactive in our brains or in our minds, right? And then ask your parents or siblings what you were like if you can't remember. So what do symptoms of ADHD look like in real life? Okay, so as I said, I'm going to start with the hyperactive combined type. And then after that, I will go into the inattentive type, which is more common in women. Remember, though, every ADHD brain is wired differently, so you may be able to relate to all of these, some of these, or very few of these. Okay, number one, do you have trouble getting started on things? Number two, do you move a lot? Are you constantly fidgeting? You know, when my son was being tested, they didn't know what he had, and so initially he went and saw an occupational therapist. He was, I think, in fourth grade, probably about nine years old. And I remember the occupational therapist working with him and talking about how he moves all the time. And then she looked at me, and this was before I was diagnosed, before I had any idea that I might be ADHD. And she looked at me and she said, you move all the time too. So do you move a lot? Are you constantly fidgeting? Number three, when you read, do you find that you often have to reread a paragraph or an entire page because you forget that you're reading? So you might go off and start daydreaming and thinking about other things. Number four, are you chronically late no matter how much time you give? Now, my son Marcus, he has an incredibly good sense of time. He hates to be late, but his mother, me, I am completely time blind. So again, you know, the symptoms always look different. Number five, do you struggle to memorize most everything? Number six, and I got a comment on that one too, as far as memorization. Again, my son has no problems with memorizing. I have all kinds of problems. And I joke all the time that there is not one song before the age of 12 that I remember even one chorus to. I just can't. I can try and try. And then you ask me the next day and I don't know what it is. I cannot memorize songs. I can't really memorize anything. Number six, did you struggle with transitions? And by that, I mean, do you struggle starting something new, especially something you don't really want to do? But then once you get started, you also have trouble stopping. You know, so it's hard to start work, but once I start, I don't want to quit. Number seven, do you have trouble putting together your thoughts when you write? 
oh my gosh, this is a huge problem that I have with long form writing. And so the only way I can get a paper written or an article written is I have to start with putting all of my, just literally vomiting every thought there. There's no rhyme or reason. They're not always connected. They certainly aren't in order. I just get them all out onto a post-it note, um, individual. So each thought goes onto one post-it note. And then I turn around and I organize them in order, like what should come first, second, and third. So it makes sense to the reader. Now, Probably about a year ago, I discovered stickies. And so what I do now is stickies are on my desktop of my MacBook. And I think there is a comparable application for the PC. I can't remember what it is right now, but I do know I did a podcast about it. What I will do is I will organize all my little post-it notes on my desktop, and then I can move them around in order. Okay, so what number am I on? Oh, number eight. Do you lose track of time when you're interested in what you're doing? You pop into hyperfocus and you have no idea how much time has passed. Number nine, are you disorganized? Number 10, are you attracted to products that help to organize you? Day planners, calendars, organizer apps, post-it notes, Trello, Evernote, but you find it difficult to use them. Now that was so me. And then I got the Bear app. I think it's $1.99 a month. It's fabulous because... I can post anything in there. There's an app on the Apple Watch for Bear. There's an app for the iPad and there's an app for the iPhone. So wherever I am, I can record a little audio clip, stick it into Bear. When I get back to my office, I put a hashtag on it so I can always find things and I use it for everything. Every little detail in my life, whether it's personal or business, I love it. Number 11, are you a perfectionist? Well, a lot of that's fear, right? If things aren't perfect, you don't have to move forward. And since things are never perfect, you never move forward. Number 12, do you talk really fast? People have trouble maybe finding your train of thought because you're talking so fast and you're kind of like all over the place. I don't suffer from that at all, as you can tell. <laughs> anyway, number 13, are you always trying to change something, whether it's your house, your job, the paint colors on the wall, the placement of furniture? Number 14, do you have a hard time relaxing? Don't know about you, but when I go on vacation, I always need to be doing something. I really struggle and my family gets so upset about it. Well, they don't get that upset, but they make sure that we always have a number of days, like if we're on a beach vacation, there are a number of days where we are not allowed to leave wherever we are, because if it's up to me, we're going to have something planned every single minute. Okay. Number 15, are you excessively impatient? Like you hate to wait in lines. Number 16, do you procrastinate chronically? Number 17, do you often get excited by a new idea or project and then you lose interest and don't follow through? Number 18, my husband jokes all the time that I am the idea person, like ideation is my strength, but then I kind of need someone to help me on the follow-up, right, to actually implement it. Number 18, more than most people, oh, I already said this one. Okay, it's number 18, more than most people, do you hate waiting in line? Yep. Number 19, are you incapable of reading directions? Do you, you know, you, you get something that you need to put together and you're much more apt to just try to figure it out. Number 20, do you have a temper, but just as quickly as you lose it, you're fine again. Number 21, do you have trouble keeping secrets? So many of you have heard this story before, but my family called me the Burlingame Blab when I was a kid. We lived in the town of Burlingame, and apparently they could not tell me any family secrets because I would tell whomever. I wouldn't do it intentionally. I would just start talking, and I'd get excited, and all of a sudden, you know, a family secret would plop up. Not that we really had family secrets, but okay, number 22. Do you often forget what you're going to say while you're in the middle of saying it? I am raising my hand. Number 23, do you find it really difficult to follow lists, although heaven knows you constantly try? Number 24, do you start working on a project and suddenly find yourself an hour later in a completely different room working on something that was not planned? Uh, yeah, you know where... I'll be working on a project at my computer and somehow I'll have to get up to go get something. And before I know it, half an hour has passed and I'm standing at the dishwasher unloading it. Does that happen to you? Number 25, do you have a hard time reading a book all the way through? 
Number 26, have you been at fault in four or more car accidents? Number 27, are you bad with money? Do you let the bank balance your checkbook? Again, I don't know if we use checkbooks anymore. I really don't. My husband has one that we kind of use as a family, but I'm not sure when we even use it. But when he first met me, I had two checking accounts. And what I would do is one would get so out of control because I never balanced it that I would just leave that alone and I would go to the second one. Yeah, he was appalled because remember, he's a banker. He married me anyway, though. Number 28, are memos virtually impossible for you to read or write? Number 29, do you find it difficult to keep an updated contact list? Oh, my word. That is a huge struggle for me. I just kind of gave up on Christmas cards. Part of it was, you know, everything went online and I just thought this is a waste of money. It's bad for the environment, you know, blah, blah, blah. But a big part of it for me was every single Christmas, when I would have to go through, number one, find the Christmas list and then update it and make sure that everything was okay and then get it to the Christmas card company. Oh my God, it was an absolute nightmare. So any kind of announcements, anything that I need to do that it requires that I keep an updated contact list. Oh my God, I completely suck at it. Number 30, do you work best in short spurts? Number 31, do you find that you often get depressed after a success? I call this post-final depression. I'm going to tell you really quickly why this is, okay? Because this was fascinating to me. And when I found out about this one, I was like, yeah, that's totally me. And yeah, I need to go, yeah, ADHD. Okay, there's something called reward deficiency syndrome. And it's very common with us ADHDers. And it has to do with the malfunction in the brain reward cascade. Specifically, we don't make enough dopamine and that affects our reward pathways. That means that number one, we may feel less motivation to work towards a reward. Number two, when we do reach our our goal, we get to the reward, we feel less satisfaction from this reward than someone with RDS or reward deficiency syndrome. We just kind of like haven't worked ourselves up, right, to get excited about that reward. And this is exactly why we never feel like we've accomplished enough. And the reason I call it post-final depression is when I was in college, I would just marvel at my friends who, you know, we would all be studying for finals and there was this excitement about, oh my gosh, you know, once we get done with the finals, we're going to be so happy after, you know, we're done. And I would work really hard thinking, okay, I'm going to get excited. I'm going to get excited. And I kind of really wouldn't. And then finally, all the finals were over and my friends were partying and they were so excited and happy. And I would be thinking, ugh, is that all there is? Okay, I need to move on to the next thing. Next, you know, I just couldn't get excited about it. And the reason is that we value receiving the reward more than anticipating the reward, which is the reverse of what non-ADHD individuals experience. You know, most people get more pleasure from looking forward to things, but since we don't, once it comes, it's kind of like, oh, well, what's the next challenge, right? We better get working on the next thing. Number 32, do you feel like you're not living up to your full potential? Like you've never done enough. You're never doing enough. Well, part of it is you can't remember, right? All of your accomplishments. But the other part is we're high stimulation people. We only have one life. We have so many interests. We have so much we want to do, right? And so our outsides and our insides don't match. You know, all these things we want to do and we haven't really done them. So that leads to guess what? Imposter complex. Number 33, are you claustrophobic? Number 34, is it difficult for you to pay attention when someone has trouble getting to the point? Even though we may not get to the point very well, we really struggle to pay attention when we're talking to someone and they are not getting to the point. Number 35, does small talk bore you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Number 36, are you a chronic researcher? Are you always looking for more options? Number 37, do you find nature calming? Number 38, now here I'm going to give you some ones that I had no idea about when I started on my ADHD research journey, but oh my gosh. Okay. Number 38, do you have crowns, root canals, and are grind or clench your teeth? Hello, Bruxis, TMD, and TMJ. Number 39, do you engage in repetitive body-focused behaviors like skin picking and hair pulling and nail biting? And yeah, I did a podcast all about this. Number 40, 
do you struggle with addiction? Number 41, do you struggle with an eating disorder? Now, those symptoms that I just gave you, they are probably a combination of both hyperactive, impulsive ADHD and also inattentive ADHD. So if you're inattentive, you may relate to many of those symptoms. But if you are inattentive ADHD, there's also some ones that are really specific to you. So I want to mention them independently or individually, okay? And inattentive ADHD, just so you know, as I mentioned before, this is the presentation that most girls have. And because inattentive ADHD looks so different than the typical nine-year-old hyperactive boy who's climbing the walls, this is the presentation of ADHD that often gets missed. Girls tend to internalize their symptoms while boys externalize them. Girls go inward. And what I mean by that is their anger, their frustration, their struggle. It's kept inside of them and they, they tend to turn it on themselves. So they beat themselves up more, which translates into higher rates of anxiety and depression for girls with ADHD. So in a ton of girls are more hyperactive in their minds. And that takes the form of ruminating and thinking and thinking and thinking, right? A lot of this has to do with socialization and conforming to gender role expectations. So again, so much of their fears, their concerns are internalized. They don't want to tell anyone. Boys, on the other hand, they're allowed to act out more. They can be more disruptive. Inattentive girls have a more daydreamy kind of quality. And the restlessness, again, it goes internal and it ultimately leads to anxiety and depression if it's not treated. There's also so much bias and stigma against girls with ADHD. You know, there's all kinds of studies that have shown that when a boy and a girl present with the exact same ADHD symptoms, the boy is going to get referred for treatment while the girl will not. It's also no surprise that 95% plus of the research on ADHD has been done on white, hyperactive, school-aged boys. I know in our group, there are so many women, a huge percentage of whom were diagnosed late in life and only after their child was diagnosed with ADHD. That's certainly my story. And I just did a poll because I wanted to see, okay, what do the numbers look like in our group? And of all the women that reported being diagnosed after their child, um, two thirds of them reported that their child was identified as a boy and one third of them reported that their child identified as a girl. So I found that really interesting, right? Anyway, what's troubling here is that the prognosis is much better the earlier the diagnosis. And this is why it's so important that we make sure and we advocate for our girls because the schools and even their doctors often don't know what ADHD even looks like in girls. The earlier that we can normalize their differences, that they can meet other friends who also have ADHD, that they can learn and understand how their brains work, the better. So before I move on, I do want to talk about smart girls with ADHD. Since our podcast is called ADHD for Smartass Women, I am sure that you smartass women have a lot of smartass girls. Clearly, we weren't diagnosed until midlife or later, but let's make sure that our girls are. If you have a daughter that has been diagnosed or you think she might have ADHD, I highly recommend the book, Understanding Girls with ADHD. It's by Kathleen Nadeau, Ellen Lippman, and Patricia Quinn. I will put it in the show notes, but they talk specifically about girls with high IQ, and I want you to hear this. It's the super smart girl with predominantly inattentive presentation of ADHD who is least likely to be diagnosed in a timely manner. The smarter she is, the more easily she can coast through the elementary years without exhibiting overt symptoms. Her high grades convince people that there's nothing wrong. Her intelligence allows her to easily compensate for her difficulties, leading her teachers to ignore some odd or shy behaviors. And the more she succeeds, the more pressure there is for her to continue to seem smart. One study found that the gifted children who had also been identified as having ADHD were more impaired than other children with ADHD. This may suggest that the superior abilities of these gifted children can mask ADHD symptoms to varying extents, and that there may be many gifted children with ADHD whose ability to compensate makes them less likely to be diagnosed. In fact, one study of gifted students found that nearly 10% of them qualified for an ADHD diagnosis, though none had been identified. 
Because their symptoms are for the most part invisible at this age, these girls can use their superior intellect to help them compensate. They may be able to mask their chronic difficulties with disorganization, lateness, and forgetfulness in school. The report cards of these smart and inattentive girls will assure their parents that their daughters are sweet, quiet, bright, but perhaps not working up to their potential. It is only at home that they can let down their defenses and be seen for the daydreamers they are. In fact, these high IQ girls have been found to have more coexisting mood, anxiety, and disruptive disorders than ADHD girls with average IQ. This study suggests that the internalized anxiety of these smart girls may reduce disruptive behaviors that would otherwise alert others to the possibility of ADHD. This dynamic may be yet another factor that inadvertently serves to keep the struggles of gifted girls with ADHD hidden. Okay, so now you know why it is so important that we get these girls diagnosed and we start understanding what inattentive ADHD looks like. These women, often these little girls, seem like absent-minded professors. They're very bright in certain subjects, but they're in their head a lot. They can't recreate their steps because they weren't in their body when they, I don't know, let's say lost their keys or their homework. Has that ever happened to you? You lose something and you have no idea where you lost it because you were so in your head and you weren't in your body that you can't even remember the path that you took. The body may seem to be slow or sluggish. The brain, however, is moving really quickly. So if you think you have inattentive ADHD, these are some of the questions that you can ask yourself. Just like in combined type, you may find that, number one, you miss details and you become distracted easily. You may notice that you have trouble focusing on whatever tasks that you're trying to get through. You may become bored easily. You may find that you have difficulty learning or organizing new information. You may have trouble getting your homework done. Maybe you find that you lose things. You may find that you don't listen when someone is talking to you. You may have trouble following directions. Also ask yourself, do you tune out? Do you space out a lot and go into your own little fantasy world? More than most people, do you feel like it's hard for you to make yourself understood? Are you a big worrier? Do you have a hard time tolerating frustration? Do you overthink everything? Were you a daydreamer in school? Have you ever been described as needy? So for every negative symptom, I don't care if you're combined type, if you're hyperactive impulsive, if you're inattentive, for every negative symptom, there is a positive one. You know, you can either call yourself distractible or you can be creative. You can either be hyperactive or you can be energetic. So let's talk about some of the positive symptoms of ADHD. Number one, even if you're easily distracted, are there times where you're so focused it's crazy? Hello, hyperfocus. Number two, are you a lifelong learner? You are endlessly inquisitive. You love to learn. Number three, are you good in a crisis? You notice what others don't and you can make decisions quickly. Everyone else around you is falling apart, but you are in total control. There is a reason why so many paramedics and emergency room doctors and firemen and policemen have ADHD, right? Number four, do you tend to approach problems intuitively? Yup. Number five, do you love change? Are you always noticing new things and making new connections? Do you love to explore? Do you love to discover? Number six, are you enthusiastic? Number seven, are you tenacious? You don't give up. We don't. Number eight, are you a person of high integrity? Authenticity is so important to us, and we can spot a fraud a mile away. Is that you? Number nine, do you have trouble assessing the impact that you have on others? Number 10, are you much more effective when you are your own boss? Yep, we are entrepreneurs. In fact, I think the statistic that I have seen the most is there is a four to six times higher likelihood that if you have ADHD, you are also an entrepreneur. 
Number 11, are you a hard worker when it's your idea? Number 12, do you know that you're a lot smarter than you've been able to demonstrate? Number 13, are you drawn to high stimulation people, careers, and activities? I kind of alluded into that, so maybe I have a duplicate there. Fireman, military journalist, air traffic controller, ER doctor, EMT, police officer, public defender, chef, politician, nurse, the trades. We want to move and we want variety. And we like intensity in our careers. Number 14, are you driven? Drivenness is a form of hyperactivity. You know, that was one of the symptoms that when I heard that, I was like, oh my gosh, that is so me, you know, because I never knew that ADHD, I just thought it meant you were lazy and you're not very smart, right? I had no idea what ADHD is. But when I learned that drivenness is a form of hyperactivity, because I have been so ambitious all my life and I'm always starting these businesses and I'm, you know, just so interested in everything that's new and different and how can I make a business out of it? So when I discovered that drivenness was a form of hyperactivity, I was like, yep, that's me. Many of us were ambitious, we're intense, we're curious, we're workaholics, but work is really fun for us if we're doing the right kind of work. Number 15, do you find you need to exercise in order to feel good? Number 16, are you an entrepreneur? Number four to six times higher likelihood. Number 17, are you an idea machine? Even scientists now agree that one of our biggest strengths is ideation. Number 18, are you exceptionally intuitive? Yes, interpersonal intuition is an ADHD thing. And that was one of the top two things. It was that and it was drivenness being a form of hyperactivity that really got me to consider ADHD. So interpersonal intuition is that thing that you can do where you walk into a room and you don't know the players. Sometimes, you know, you just walk in and they've been having a big discussion and you walk in and you know exactly what's going on. And there's no reason for you to know that. So Number 18 is, are you exceptionally intuitive? Number 19, are you a maverick? Is being original important to you? Number 20, are you more creative or imaginative than most people? You know, I have heard so many women say, ADHD women, I'm not creative. Well, maybe you're not creative visually or artistically, but we're often creative in different ways, like in how we analyze things, how we help people, how we make connections. We just see things that most people don't. Number 21, do you have justice sensitivity? Are you always feeling like you need to go out and fight for other people? Number 22, are you usually eager to try something new? Number 23, do you love to travel? Number 24, do you get the gist of things more quickly than most? Number 25, do you laugh a lot? And number 26, one that I love, <laughs> do you look younger than your age? ADHDers, we're young at heart, and we typically do look about 10 years younger than our non-ADHD peers. Why is that? Well, I think we like change. We get bored. We're less likely to be in the same haircut, the same makeup, and the same clothes that we were in in high school. And between you and me, the most dating thing you can do is to never change your hair, your makeup, and your clothes. Okay, so I hope that gives you an overview of what the symptoms of ADHD can look like for women. If you think I have missed something, I would love for you to let me know so I can add it. In many ways, I think women get the brunt of the responsibilities once they become mothers because we're coordinating and organizing and we have to deal with all the administrative details. And that is often when ADHD women's lives go off the rails. The little research that we found on women seems to indicate that we struggle more with ADHD than men. It's likely a combination of things, of internalized symptoms, of hormones, and societal pressures and expectations. You know, when women are diagnosed late in life, especially if they don't know others who have ADHD, there's so much shame around the diagnosis. They see their behavior as a character flaw or a moral failing, when really, it's just that their brain works differently, right? Often they mourn the life that they could have had. You know, you often hear ADHD being described as an iceberg. So you see the things that show themselves at the top, right? 
the hyperactivity, the daydreaminess, the forgotten appointments, the messy house. But what you don't see, which is often worse, is everything underneath the iceberg. So the learned helplessness that has developed, feeling too much or that you're all wrong, the anxiety and depression around not living to your full potential, the lost opportunities. And over time, what happens to women is they lose trust in themselves, which is honestly the worst thing that can happen to them. You know, you start listening to everyone else and you stop listening to yourself and soon you don't even know what you really want. When you're finally diagnosed and you realize that you're not alone, you're not broken, you're not defective, you just have a different brain. There is so much freedom in that. Beyond that, when you get off this hamster wheel of trying to repair your weaknesses, you know, that we're a fix-it society, aren't we? And you just let it go. And instead you focus on your strengths, focus on moving in the right direction for you. You know, there's a reason you're not good at keeping a perfect house, getting the wash done, making dinner, balancing the checkbook. It's because it's boring and your brilliant brain needs something so much more challenging than that. So go do that instead of trying to stay afloat, doing what isn't inspiring and gives you no positive emotion whatsoever. So in closing, what I want to say is that if you are in the process of meeting with a doctor for a diagnosis, an ADHD diagnosis, I wanted to let you know, I can't remember if it's episode 40 or episode 41 of the podcast, but it is all about meeting with your doctor. And what I did is I also created a worksheet that I built off of the DSM-5 so that you could really think through your symptoms so that when you go in to meet with your doctor, you are organized, your brain brain is organized and you know what you're asking for. In my experience, if your gut feeling tells you it's ADHD, really fight for it because you are probably right. Okay. So that's what I have for you today. I do apologize that I did go quite a bit longer than I normally go, but I just thought that this was such an important podcast. And because it is one of our top podcasts, I wanted to make sure that we really update it with new information for our listeners, for you. Okay. So that's what I have for you today. As always, you are listening to ADHD for smart ass women. If you like this podcast, please let us know by leaving a review. Our goal, my goal, it's to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too can discover their amazing strengths. And your reviews, well, guess what? They really help in that regard. For me, they're like those little gold stars we used to get on our work when we were kids. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Outsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, it's also the name of our free Facebook group. We're a totally smartass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. Join us at tracyoutsuka.com, where you can also find more information on our Your ADHD Brain is A-OK system. I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.